What if we could live more in harmony with our animal friends and the whole of nature simply by stopping and listening more? Chats with animal professionals and interspecies communicators aims to bring animals and the world of nature front and center. We'll be chatting with professionals working in the animal industry and intuitive interspecies communicators about their work in the field. I'm your host, Tracy Pierce. I'm a professional animal communicator and lifelong animal lover and spiritual explorer. I've worked with animals professionally since 2002, and I've been studying animal communication and the human-animal connection since 2014. Chats with Animal Professionals and Interspecies Communicators is for animal lovers, nature lovers, intuitives, spiritual seekers, and those interested in interspecies communication. Our aim is to bring awareness to these professions and to expose the new and old science behind some of these seemingly out-of-the-world careers. We hope to educate and tickle your mind about what is possible by discussing this work and ways we can work with our animal friends, nature friends, and the planet as a whole instead of them always being a secondary consideration. Join us now as we explore today's topic. Hello and welcome to this episode of Chats with Animal Professionals and Interspecies Communicators. Our guest today is Laura Simpson, and our topic is Pet Loss, Grief, and the Pet Memorial. Laura Simpson is the founder of the Harmony Fund, an international animal rescue charity helping underdog animal rescue squads across the planet. Her charity has been instrumental in helping animals impacted by the war in Ukraine on top of their daily mission, providing food, shelter, veterinary care, and protection from cruelty. Laura is also the founder of The Pet Memorial, a living memorial that honors Rainbow Bridge pets while undertaking incredible animal rescue missions in their honor. An avid rescuer, Laura has personally experienced the passing of 31 pets and has developed strong coping strategies that she likes to share with others. Laura, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you, Tracy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about your projects and what you do. So to get us started, could you tell us a bit more about you and how you came to do this work that you're doing? You know, I've actually spent my whole career in animal welfare. Right out of college, I started with an international rescue charity based in London. And I think I did every job in the building. I started as a press officer and worked my way through every aspect of charity work and really got such a deep and rich understanding of how to run a charitable organization and, more importantly, an acute awareness of the issues that are out there facing animals on an international basis. And it's um, it's quite different than what we might look at domestically here in the United States. Um, the suffering is uh, far greater reaching and more widespread. And um, it takes um, certainly an army of individuals who care and with compassion to really address some of these issues. So uh, I worked for 11 years uh, for a large international charity before beginning the Harmony Fund, my own charity. And the, the goal was to reach out to the underdogs of animal rescue, those smaller rescue squads that are sometimes overlooked when it comes to any international aid that might be available. 
So we're really trying to provide them with a lifeline and an opportunity to do what they do best. Some of them are, you know, just a, a handful of people, but they're saving animals hand over fist and they've demonstrated this amazing potential, but they just really don't have the support in many communities. Donating to animal welfare would be absurd. It, it's not culturally normal for, for you know, residents to donate. So they really are reliant on international aid and it's a pleasure and joy to work with such heroic, amazing people of you know, all walks of life. It, it, it's a, such an eclectic group of people, but the commonality we share is that vision of creating a more humane world. And uh, just, I don't know, it, sometimes I step back and I think, did how is this all possible? It must be a dream because we started the charity in, in uh, 2009 and in 14 years, I'm astounded. I can't, I personally can't even keep track of how many animals we've impacted. It's beyond all of my, you know, my wildest dreams. And I'm really excited to see what the next 10 years will, will be like. Wow. That's such a great background that you have. And I, I guess I hadn't thought about in animal welfare with, you know, the underdogs and, I, I guess maybe it just shows my cultural bias of having grown up and lived in the United States that, oh, I hadn't thought about how different organizations in different parts of the world, like it just wouldn't even be an, an, a cultural idea that people would donate to these kind of groups. So yeah. really applaud what you're doing there. That's amazing. Um, you. You've been involved with a lot of different projects and organizations that support animal welfare over the years. Are there any aspects of this work that you're most proud of? Well, gosh, I mean, sometimes for me, it's just the, the little things, but I have to say overall, it would be our work in Ukraine. From the moment that war broke out, I think all of us, like everyone in the world, had this collective moment of panic and dread as to what was coming. But because my charity, the Harmony Fund, had existing relationships in Ukraine and had already been helping animals there, there was also this moment of, oh my gosh, it's time. We have work to do. And that is what we did immediately. Right from the get-go, we said, let's begin. And we started with uh, sending vans to the border so that the refugees fleeing the country would have some food, some help putting together a veterinary passport, some basic supplies for their animals, because many of them left, you know, just instantly, they have nothing with them. So it's really about getting a lot of um, support at the border and bringing in supplies there. The second phase of the mission was, of course, the hardest. That was certainly the hardest, which was bringing supplies into Ukraine. And what we did was we worked with some really brave and incredible volunteers within the country. A lot of them were young people. Uh, certainly most of the men uh, who are able-bodied and of a certain age were immediately enlisted into the military. So you'd be surprised how many were women. Um, certainly there were a few men, but the majority were women. And just moving around Russian troops alone was so dangerous, especially in the early months where there was a lot of confusion and. And it wasn't always known where the troops were and what was happening. 
So we would work with these volunteers. We would bring in food from, would buy it in Romania and um, bring in bring it in by the tractor trailer truckload. I mean, just we would fill the trucks as to the very last box getting in the door. And often they were leaving the warehouse and there were boxes on the ground and more pallets on the ground. And we were like, okay, those six pallets are going on the next truck. And we're of course mixing in veterinary supplies because the animals, there was nothing. There, there was no supplies getting in. So we were bringing all the things that the veterinarians who were still in country would need. And that operation was especially difficult in the in the first six months, I would say, when things were really so volatile and so extreme. And um, we were helping in a number of ways, like individuals who were helping to, let's say in, in many communities, unfortunately, the number of animals who were homeless rose sharply, either because their families were forced to leave and didn't take them with them or because they had passed away. So there was this sharp rise in animal abandonment or homelessness. And we found that the the seniors in the community really rose to the challenge. The older folks really said, I can do this. And you'll see them often caring for large numbers of animals on their property or in the community, going out daily, doing feeding patrols. So it's about really getting supplies to those individuals so that they can do what they do best. Um, in addition, of course, we're getting supplies to the animal shelters. Some of them have several hundred dogs and cats, you know, per shelter, and we're running out of food. So just bringing in truck after truck after truck of food and, you know, stacking it in warehouses on the border and then having these uh, volunteers go out with either a box truck or a van or whatever smaller vehicle they could take to get into each area and just repeatedly delivering food and supplies. Um, we also helped with a wildlife center there. There was the uh, Feldman Eco Park, which houses thousands of animals, wildlife, and um, they had to evacuate. They they were being hit by rockets and suffered some casualties of their their volunteers and the animals and some significant damage and had to evacuate. So we were, you know, ready to help them with that, with the cost of evacuation and bringing in food in the early days. And I'm pleased to say that they're now safe and things are going well there. But the, the overall mission of, you know, addressing a war, <clears throat> I can't say that's something that I ever pictured myself doing. It, it was, it feels almost too big. But there's just something that takes over, that take, that takes hold of you in, in the situation like that, where you say, okay, I don't care how we do this, but we're going to get this done. And it was really a beautiful international effort with a lot of help from the Romanians and folks in Poland and Czechoslovakia. And um, we're still very active in Ukraine. Right now, we're looking to expand housing capacity for the coming winter to get the dogs and cats ready for winter. So. Some of them need extra kennel space, housing, uh, things like that to just be ready before, you know, the cold weather sets in again. So uh, the job is far from done, but the, but the most difficult part was certainly in those in those first six months. Wow. Um, it makes me wonder, were, were you actually physically on the ground there in Eastern Europe with them? No, I... 
I absolutely need to stay at my office because if I'm out and about, I can't coordinate every, it's so much easier to do it from my home base of operations. Because when I find when I travel internationally, I can't get as much work done as much as it's great to be in the field and do that kind of work. And I've done that in the past with uh, different uh, situations with um, volcanic eruptions and hurricanes and mass disasters. I've been on the ground, but you really are limited, you know, in your communications and everything that you can do is so limited in the field during a disaster that it's best to stay at home base. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was thinking is having having that person in a more safe and secure area to, who's um actually coordinating everything. Mm-hmm. I totally but I'm I'm sure you 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 saw and were talking to people live there so you're very entrenched even though you weren't physically there and what's what's actually going on. Yeah. One of the other things I guess that you know, when you had said that the seniors really like stepped up, it made me think, oh, well, those probably were people who, you know, they lived through the actual Soviet era, era right? Of, you know, in when Ukraine was the Ukraine of the Soviet, yeah. <laughs> you true. know, so yeah, that's that is in, in some ways, I guess that doesn't surprise me. They, they're like, all right, here we go again. And just kind of understood what it was about. Yeah, I've been just so impressed by the the fortitude and the courage. Um, you know, a number of people that we're helping right now who have small rescue centers, they're, you know, at the age of maybe in their 60s and their sons have died in the war. They've lost, they've lost their children. It's really to, to think that they could experience such profound pain and keep going and keep getting up every morning. I think in the, in many ways, perhaps the, you know, caring for those animals and that consistent need gives them purpose and gives them, you know, their own mission to carry on because they're contending with such grief. It's, it's been uh, such polar extremes of horror and beauty because we do, these things do bring out the beauty in mankind as well. And like the togetherness and the, the way that, it doesn't matter if we're speaking the same language or have any, you know, any common threads, we're still able to pull together and to genuinely love one another and help one another. The, the relationships that form among the rescuers, it's amazing how we we just feel so connected. And I think anybody who loves animals, that's part of this experience is feeling like you're part of a family and you have this network of people who feel like you do, who are sensitive, who care. And and that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing about the the war efforts there. It's really, really inspiring to me. And I'm sure we'll be for the listeners too. So at the, the pet memorial, you help people honor their dear pets who have since transitioned into spirit by allowing people to create a memorial on, on the website. And you know, grief over this kind of loss can be huge. Our animal friends really become such an important part of our lives. Oh, we got our little friend coming to say hello and join in. Hello, it's Angel. Angel, oh, hi, so Angel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions for people who are who are dealing with the loss of an animal companion? You know, there's there are so many coping tools, and I I think there are three that spring to mind to me 
as most important and that I consistently use when I'm contending with my own losses. The first and number one always is gratitude because it brings a shift in emotions. So when you're experiencing gratitude, it's not that you've let go of your pain because sometimes I think people almost have this feeling that they're that they need to stay immersed in deep grief in order to honor their pet because they would almost feel guilty like gosh if I move on if I laugh if I'm happy for a moment then that's almost like a betrayal of the the pet and the love and the, you know you should feel sad and while it's true that we do feel sad it's the actual I see it in a different way I think our animals love to see us experiencing joy our animals who have crossed over what greater gift can we give them than for them to see us being okay so i find that gratitude can get us there even if it's just for you know a few moments at a time it sort of lifts you out of that sadness so for me i like to take experiences that i had with the pet i guess my perspective may be different because i see so much suffering every single day. So to me, it's very easy to count the blessings and say, thank God my cat landed in my home. Thank God we had that afternoon where I was blowing bubbles and my cat was running and popping them and we had that beautiful moment together. Thank God he's not out in the cold anymore. Thank God. And I just think of all these experiences and reasons to be thankful. And it just immediately can shift your your whole feeling in your heart. And there is so much to be grateful for because most, not most, but truthfully, many animals in this world never get to know what it feels like to be loved by a person. And if our pets did and they had a life with us, then they were blessed. And we can really take that and, and hold on to that. And you can do that by journaling. You can do it just, you know, by sitting down and taking a few moments to, to think about it or meditate on your feelings. You can share it with a friend or counselor. It can take many, many forms, but it's important to experience the joy again. Remind ourselves, it's not all sadness. It doesn't have to turn from joy and living together to complete sadness. We can bring back that joy. Um, the second thing I like to talk about is looking for signs from heaven. and it, you know, I think many pets find a way to, to let us know they're okay. And of course, as an animal communicator, you know this, you probably speak with pets in the afterlife often. Um, but it could be a sight, a sound, a smell. I mean, you might hear your dog's tags jingling and know that's that familiar sound that I've heard millions of times before. The animals will try to find ways, especially in our quiet moments, when we're sort of absentmindedly doing something. Let us know, hey, I'm okay. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And it's funny because I had this um, experience recently with my cat Mousy who passed away. Now Mousy was a big cat. He was a big tabby cat, and he was wandering for a long time. It was seemed to be belonging to no one. And I tried putting up posters and saying, "Is this anybody's cat?" You know, this went on for a long time. Nobody claimed him. Nobody identified him. And I would see him periodically and think, I just have this bad feeling like he doesn't have a family. So 
One night, it was winter time. It was 20 degrees below zero, and he was outside. And I was determined to, because many times I had tried to get him to come to me, and he, he wouldn't. He was fearful. And I said, I don't care what it takes. I am not going inside until he comes inside. So I set a trap, a humane trap with lots of warmed, wet food inside and some tuna. And it didn't take more than probably 20 minutes. He was in it, captured, looking around like, wait, what happened? I brought him in immediately. And we had this wonderful experience of many years together afterwards. When he passed, he, so, I'm sorry, the, the point of that is that because he'd lived outside for, I think, an extended period on his own, he had an injury to his eye. So one eye was squinty, and he'd kind of look at you like Popeye. You know, that was his look. He had one squinty eye and one normal eye, although I think he could see through both. He came to me probably maybe a few weeks after his passing, and I saw this vision of him. His eyes were both cold, and it was so beautiful because I never thought of him looking that way. I, you know, I didn't, he, this was his look, you know, the, the one eye. And so to see him with both eyes whole, he was definitely showing me, hey, everything is healed here. I am whole. I am good. It was just beautiful and such a relief. And I think lots of times our pets, you know, if, we, if we're quiet and listen, they find a way to, like, remind us that they're okay. And I'd say the last thing that I would recommend to people who are just struggling through grief, and again, it's not always a straight line. Sometimes you're having a good day or a bad day, and that can go up and down for a long period of time. And there often isn't really a finish line. Grief is a part of our lives, and it will come and go. But I find that doing something meaningful can really help you channel that love, because a big part of why we're sad is because we have all this love, and we don't have that connection, that daily connection with a, with a place to deliver that love. So I find that doing something meaningful can make a difference. Now, for some people, that might mean planting a garden, a, a flower garden for pollinators and helping the bees and giving them food and, you know, just helping to take care of the earth. For others, it might be, be like going to the animal shelter and helping out and like petting the cats or walking the dogs or doing something to share a connection if you're not ready to adopt another pet might be just helping animals who are in a shelter in a high stress environment who really need companionship to me above all else they need companionship and emotional comfort um for others you know the pet memorial we we created in part to really do something profound and to allow people to honor their pets not with something i mean there are certainly a number of things like Christmas tree ornaments or garden stones or things like that, but to really do something meaningful and to go on that one last ride together, to have that last mission with our pets and be like, okay, we're doing something great. And to imagine how our pets will feel being a part of an experience to feed a few hundred dogs in a shelter in Bosnia that ran out of food yesterday or to release a large number of monkeys from a rehab center in the Amazon jungle. Just there there are so many ways that the pet memorial is helping domesticated animals and wildlife and farm animals and any animal in need really and just doing something amazing to sort of extend that love, to share that love, to make a living memorial to our pets, to honor them in ways that 
they would be proud of and we can kind of celebrate together and feel like we're doing something really special as a team. Yeah, that's great. I really love those those tips, um, the the three different ways of being able to kind of move through the grief. So I feel like those are really great tips. And I just keep feeling my cat, <laughs> my cat who passed a long time, like kind of coming over here, talking on my shoulder. So many of the things that you said really resonate with, with that and her and especially the finding gratitude piece. Um, I think because her passing was so sudden and kind of unexpected. She was still pretty young. And actually she was kind of similar to Mousy and what you were saying where she was a stray. She'd lived outside for at least nine months and I had to use a humane trap to get her to come inside and ended up becoming just best friends. And she, my gosh, she, she taught me so much. And um, it's it's interesting because she passed away in, in 2011, but I, you know, there's still like little waves of grief that, that come from that. Um, and I, especially the gratitude part that you were talking about, I keep coming back to like, oh, remember, remember how Seeker and I interacted in this way, or remember the lesson she taught you. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I do, I guess I feel like it's kind of important to highlight that, you know, grief, like you said, isn't something that you just get done. Oh, <laughs> it, it's something done. Yeah, it's something that can be ongoing. So remembering these three tips, which were, let's see, gratitude, um, doing doing something, looking for signs, and then doing something. something Yeah, Yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Thanks so much for that. So speaking of grief, we can sometimes experience that even before our animal friends cross over. And I guess I'm thinking of Seeker again here. Where, you know, two weeks before she passed, they gave her this really bad diagnosis, but they they didn't think she was going to die. But, um, you know, some people do receive terminal diagnosis for their their pets and, and the grief process can kind of start there. Do you have any recommendations for folks who are in this kind of position where they're realizing that their animals is going to transition probably sooner than they expected? Yeah, I understand, because to me. At least for me personally, that's the hardest part, the coming to terms with what's about to happen and then following through. That To me, that is the most painful part of the whole experience. It's the sort of anticipation and the dread. And I think there's a few things that can perhaps be a, bring a little bit of comfort. First, for me, and I think for for anyone who you know, has any connection to spirituality at all, I feel that our animals come from a place of love and return to a place of love. There's, they're not, they're not falling. Like they're, they're not lost. They're not, they're, they're safe. They're, we have to sort of dispel ourselves of the illusion that by dying, they're lost. It, no. Their soul is eternal and they are at peace and they are in joy and they are no longer in physical pain. They just, they can be their whole selves again. So to just really try to conceptualize helping them transition as a gift so that they're not suffering and they can be their whole selves again. And it's so hard for us because we miss that daily routine. But sometimes, you know, we all have an end date, unfortunately, and we have to 
sometimes help them when that time comes. I also like to really talk to the veterinarian involved if, if a veterinarian is going to be involved in the process. Um, discuss the individual needs of the pet. If does the pet have breathing problems? Is there is there some steps that need to be taken in addition to the normal protocol to make sure that your pet doesn't suffer any additional stress or discomfort during the process? And I really strongly believe in that. I had a dog. His name was Alex, and he had uh, he was a Labrador Retriever, and he had laryngeal paralysis, which happens to a lot of larger breed dogs where the vocal cords become sort of paralyzed and it causes them problems breathing and any bit of excitement would bring on an episode with him where he couldn't breathe and I was so worried about bringing him to the vet when it was time to say goodbye that way and the whole veterinary clinic we made a plan in advance and they they came out they carried him in it was so gentle and quick and Every step was taken to make sure that his special needs were accommodated, that there was no delay, that we were being smart and efficient with our time and giving him the proper medications to make sure that he wasn't in terrible respiratory distress at the end. So, <laughs> sorry, even it's been years, but it still brings it back. So I do, I completely understand, you know, people who are going through this, you know, my heart goes out to you. And I can just say that it does get better. And we have to think of it this way, too. Every day forward, even if it doesn't feel like it's getting better, even if the grief feels so heavy, it's one day closer to us being together again. And if nothing else, that's something you can hold on to. It really, it helps me a lot. I always think of it that way. Wow, that that's so interesting. I guess I hadn't thought about um, what you talked about with talking with the vet about any additional special needs or accommodations. I think, like I'm thinking back back to Seeker, and I was so shocked um, yeah. that w- when that all started to happen, that it you know created this own emotional process for me that I didn't think to ask that, which you know. I've had conversations with Seeker about her crossing over, yeah. but Aww. and she she's okay with it. But uh, like looking back, oh, I see that is maybe a way that I could have supported her even more. So thank you so much for giving that suggestion. I hadn't thought about that. So sometimes it's not our own pet that is getting ready to cross over. It's a friend's animal. Is there is there any advice that you would give to listeners about how to support a friend who's in this sort of pre-grieving or has started the grieving process either just before or after their animal has crossed over? I think um, one of the things we have to do is sort of stop ourselves from trying to fix it because most of us, our immediate response is, what can I do? to take this away because you hate to see anybody suffering. But this is something that we all have to go through. So you can't necessarily fix it. You want to be careful about saying things that might try to minimize their pain because, you know, inadvertently sometimes when we're trying to comfort somebody that things like that might come out. But what instead we can do is just be there, be a support system because not everyone has someone who is like-minded, like in their own like in their own home, for example. 
there, you know, there could be four family members, but maybe the other three don't want, don't talk a lot, you know, aren't open to sharing their feelings, aren't open to talking about it. And your friend might might really just need someone to talk to. So it's just about being there and saying, I know how you feel. I'm sorry. I understand. And letting them vent, letting them talk about their feelings. And the other thing too, I think is um, the routine. There can be points in the routine, like especially in the first few days, let's say four o'clock every afternoon, your friend would come home from work and that's the time they would walk their dog and feed them. And that was four o'clock was a key time of the day. So maybe those first couple of days you say to your friend, I'll meet you at four. We're going to go for a walk. Just something to help them through those key moments and those sort of key times of day can, or just, you know, letting them know I'm available for a phone call. Just trying to think of how you would feel in their shoes. And often we remember and just, just being supportive makes all the difference. I think what you say about not trying to fix them is so important. And I feel like this applies to more than just a pet dying where, um, you know, even if there's another human that has died, sometimes we, again, just want to race through grief, get it done, ignore it, or, you know, things like this. But the more I've done this work with animals who've crossed over, I've really come to see how sacred grief really is. There is this sacredness to it and it's not something to necessarily be rushed through and sure it can be painful but at the same time I feel like grief really if anything it shows how much we love um and to me that is it's really precious um so there's really sort of this reframe that I guess I've had where grief is very sacred and it's not something to be hurried through. So thank you for sharing. I, I completely agree. I know what you mean. It's just, it's so, so awful. We want to, none of us want to go through it and we want to spare our loved ones from it. But we really can't. It, you can't, there is no shortcut. So we have, can have coping strategies and be supportive of our loved ones. But um, it's just part of love. It's part of the experience of love. So as I understand it, uh, donations that people make to the pet memorial go to support these underdog animal rescue teams all over the world. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and how it works? Yeah, so the pet memorial has three aspects to it. The first is that people can go on and create a, a memorial page for their pet. And it can be very simple. They can upload a photo or a few photos and just write whatever whatever they like to share about their pet or a message to their pet. Um, and just create a, a place on the website where their pet is being honored. And there are pets from all over the world featured on the site. You know, people from many different countries are coming up and saying, okay, I'm honoring my cat, my dog, and they're creating a profile for their pet. And this just sort of this memorial page. And that's free for anyone. Anyone can use it for a pet that passed 10 years ago or a pet who passed yesterday. There, you know, there are no conditions. It's for, for everyone. It's really just about creating this. There is no memorial for pet. This was sort of the first memorial that's worldwide for everybody because it's a universal experience for pet guardians to grieve the 
when their pets cross over. And there wasn't any place for us to come together. And that's one of the things we're trying to create is this place where we can come together. And also we have um, tools on the site, lots of videos that will help people coach them through the grieving process and some things that just might bring them comfort and clarity because, you know, it takes some time. And so we have different experts on there talking on video and, and trying to help people who are grieving. We also, of course, have the, the aspect of this that makes the pet memorial a living memorial. And that's the rescue work because it's one thing to create a memorial that's etched on a big piece of marble and has a list of names, but it's an entirely different matter create a living memorial that is about taking our pets with us and going on this journey together to help animals who might be halfway around the world or who might be close to home, but who haven't been so blessed to have a family, to have a soft bed on the kitchen floor, to have steady meals every single day. And those animals need, need us. They need our love. So if we can say, okay, I'm going to take this love that I share with my pet crossover and together we're going to take that love and we're going to channel it into doing something really special. And so all those donations to the pet memorial are bringing food to animal shelters who have completely run out, who have nothing left to feed their animals. And you might find that to be a stretch, but actually that's very common in many parts of the world that they run out of food entirely and they have nothing. And that's where the Harmony Fund tricks are race in and say, okay, we'll get you food. Let's, let's see what we can do to help. So it's about bringing food in. Right now, as I said, in the Ukraine, we're trying to get more housing ready for winter and get, you know, the animals at least some kind of protection from the cold. And, um, you know, veterinary care, we're helping to build a social veterinary hospital in Romania. And what that is, is a veterinary hospital that's for the rescuers. That's actually for rescuers to bring in injured animals that they find on the street or abandoned animals and to get them help to bring in animals from the community and have them spayed and neutered for free. Like this is an establishment that is going to train veterinarians on humane care of animals, not just the latest, latest surgical techniques, but really bringing about more of an awakening in the country for those practicing veterinary medicine to be more compassionate. So on so many levels, the, the projects that we're involved with are about helping animals today and tomorrow. So it's a, it's, I, to me, it's a beautiful legacy that we can share with our pets. And it can be something people can get involved in one time and, you know, donate whatever is comfortable for them. Or they can sign up for a monthly donation to just have this ongoing involvement with their pet in honor of their pet. We're doing it together. And we're going to share the love we shared and we're going to make it grow. And we're going to make it grow in incredible ways to help lots of other animals. Wow, it's that's just it's so cool to hear how how you've put this together and, and thanks for sharing. You mentioned some of the projects you're you're working on, but are there any others, e either through the Pet Memorial or through the Harmony Fund that are going on right now that you'd like to share with us? Well, primarily right now. We're getting ready for winter. So that means lots of shelters are saying we need firewood because some of them cook cook food because they can't afford kibble. 
it's cheaper to buy ingredients and cook food. So they have these massive pots and they need wood to, to cook them. Um, so they might need that. They might need things, simple things like plywood and plastic to cover the kennel areas to block the wind and snow. They might need roof repairs because the roof is so badly decaying. And this seems to happen a lot. The buildings are, you know, if they have buildings, if they're blessed enough to have an actual building, they're in such bad shape, they, you know, and they can't support the, the weight of the snow load. So we have to repair roofs before the snow starts to fall. Expanding kennel capacity, stockpiling food. Um, you know, there's one in Ukraine, one shelter that we helped. We bought them an old tractor because they couldn't even get down the old dirt road to their shelter. They would be dragging the food in on sleds for, you know, a couple of miles on a sled. So just helping them to have a way to access the shelter in, in storms and bring their vehicles in and bring in supplies and bring in the animal out if they need to go to the vet. So there's so many things we kind of take for granted that are that are just not available in, in other parts of the world. We really want to do everything we can to get, you know, anything we can to keep the animals as warm as possible and to keep them fed. And that really is our, from September on, that is the primary mission every year. It's sort of a perennial thing like, oh my gosh, the cold weather's coming. We have work to do. Yeah, that, wow, I hadn't even thought about like having to haul food in on a sled or something like that where... We are extremely privileged here in the U.S. And, you know, some of the things you're talking about, I hadn't even really conceptualized here before we talk. So, again, thanks for bringing this to our awareness or our awareness and helping listeners learn about these things as well. Um, we've talked about a lot of different things here today. Is, the, is there anything else that we haven't already talked about that you feel really called to share with us? I guess if I can put it out there, if anybody in the audience who's listening has unusual ways to help, we're always looking for partners in different ways. They Maybe they run a business or work for a business or know a family business who might be interested in supporting the charity, you know, from a, a business partnership, or maybe they might be involved in offering some type of service where they could host an event and help the animals. There are so many different ways, you know, through workplace giving, through estate giving, through all sorts of, you know, monthly donations. There are sort of innumerable ways that people can get involved. And it's not all about funds. Sometimes if they don't have funds, they might have a connection for, you know, for someone in the media who might like to do a story on us. There's all sorts of ways that each of us might have some special thing to offer to the animals and whatever form that might take, I would be grateful for the help. We're always, we always need help. Absolutely. That's yeah. You never know who we're going to connect with through this. So yeah. it's always good to put those out there and see what comes back. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Laura, thank you so much for joining me here today. This has been an amazing conversation. So I'm wondering if listeners wanted to learn more about uh, the Harmony Fund or the Pet Memorial or about you, where would be the best place for them to go? Go to our website, uh, harmonyfund.org, or the Pet Memorial website, which is simply thepetmemorial.org. Either one, uh, you'll find lots of information about our work and uh, can certainly love for people who are listening and 
have a pet that they've lost to, you know, create a tribute page for their pet and, and to honor them that way. It'd be beautiful. I, I would love to see uh, whoever wants to come. All are welcome. Great. Well, we'll definitely include that in the show notes so people will be able to just click on over and, and do that. I also want to note that any donations that are received on behalf of this particular episode that are that are made to to me for the podcast, I will be redonating 50% of those to the Pet Memorial to help support this work that Laura's doing. So just amazing work that you're doing here, Laura. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me here today. It was so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in today. I hope you find yourself tickled and considering what else is possible when we decide to listen in different ways. Your animal and nature friends want to communicate with you. Are you ready to listen? If you found this podcast valuable and would like to support us, please use the donation link in the show notes to make a donation. Thank you so much for your support. If you're an animal professional or interspecies communicator and would like to be a guest on the show, please send an email to hi, that's H-I, at tracy-pierce.com. Music is courtesy of Fesslian Studios. All links we mention will be provided in the show notes for this episode. If you found this show informative or helpful, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts.